This is Papers to Practice, a series where we take important sanitation publications and break them down in 45 minutes. We ask the author directly who should know about the publication or research, and what are the key points so that professionals and practitioners working in sanitation can put these papers to practice. Good morning and good evening. My name is Dorothy Schroeder. I'm from Airbox, Switzerland. And just on the other side of the screen in front of me is sitting Juliet Willits from the Institute for Sustainable Futures in Sydney. Today's episode is about the, the fifth, it's the fifth episode of the se season and the whole season was fully devoted kind of to the topic to try to better understand the relations between sanitation and climate change. Climate change, we know it all, is real, a uh, real problem. And many people in the world are actually not only talking about it, but also feeling immediately the consequences. Sanitation and water in general are affected in multiple ways. And that's what I try to understand in these seasons. But sanitation at the same time is also a major contributor, as we heard in the last episode uh, from August. So unfortunately, the effects of climate change on wash services are probably going to be worst for the most vulnerable populations in the world. How can we empower governments and communities in low and middle income countries to address climate change? The paper that we're looking at today is trying to give us an answer to this. So it provides an attempt um, to answer these questions, and it's about co-developing evidence-informed adaption actions for resilient citywide sanitation. Local government response to climate change in Indonesia. The paper builds on, on a other previous episode, which is also about uh, sanitation resilience framework uh, that was presented by Guy Howard. And today we're more looking at a co-creation process. Um, the paper we're talking about today is an attempt to provide some answers to our questions. It is about co-developing evidence-informed adaption actions for resilient citywide sanitations, local governance response to climate change in Indonesia. Built on another episode that uh, we had with Guy Howard that was looking on a sanitation resilience framework, but this time we're more looking on the co-developing uh, process. We are going to learn about the climate change related risks and how they affect the communities in, the, in Indonesia. And we're also going to learn about possible actions to respond to these risks. The paper has been written by many different authors and one of them is sitting now with me here. It's Judith Willits, a professor leading applied research to improve development policy and practice to, towards uh, sustainable development. So thank you for joining us today and welcome. And before uh, I'm gonna read out the whole uh, page of bio of yours, I actually would like to ask yourself, um, who are you and what has motivated you to be what you are today? Great, thanks Dorothy. Um, so who am I? I'm a, an applied researcher in water and sanitation and hygiene, in mainly in the Asia and Pacific and working across quite diverse areas within what we call WASH. Um, so I started off studying chemical engineering um, and science, um, but then 
couldn't find exactly how that really gelled with some of my core interests and passions. So I was taken overseas um, by my parents at a young age, um, including in India, and I developed, um, I guess, a real interest on looking at how I could contribute and um, make some kind of positive contribution to the places that I went to. And so although I then did a PhD in wastewater treatment, um, I couldn't quite work out how these different parts of me um, gelled together. Um, so I started at, uh, at UTS, so the University of Technology, Sydney, um, in an institute called the Institute for Sustainable Futures. And it's in this institute that I've been able to find a way to link these different parts of myself um, and be able to work on sustainable development, human rights, et cetera, in Asia and the Pacific, and also at the same time draw on that technical background. Um, so when I started, there wasn't any development related work at the Institute, um, and that's only happened over time. Um, we were lucky that WaterAid came to Australia at some point um, around 2005, six. And uh, one of the first pieces we did uh, together with them was um, we developed, a, I guess, an evidence base that they then took into an advocacy process. It was called um, Getting the Basics Right. And it had a look at what are the water and sanitation issues in our region? Why is our Australian government not devoting more attention to this? And it was very successful in terms of um, pushing for a budget measure in this area. And, this area has been funded by the Australian government ever since. So that's also then, um, I guess, permitted us as a research institute to build our work in this area. And we now have a team of around um, 20, 25 people uh, contributing to it. And maybe I'd leave it there, Dorothy. We can move on. Thank you, Juliet. No, it's very impressive uh, how you actually followed your kind of motivation and managed to build up such a huge group and I think uh, you're quite well known in the sector and you wrote many I looked at the record of your publications the list is so long but it's also interesting to see how many how many different co-authors you have so I think it's very it's it, it's uh, motivating to see how you work so now let us move to the paper uh, in a few yeah. sentences uh, who is in the intended target audience uh, and who should really read it or know about it? Um, so this paper, um, it's, yeah, so it's about an engagement process with local governments. And so our target audience is very much um, practitioners working with local governments, perhaps local governments themselves too, but I doubt they have time to read the paper, but maybe they might have time to listen to a podcast. I don't know. Um, but certainly um, practitioners with an interest in trying to get their heads around what is this thing that's called climate resilience and what does it look like when um, we're trying to think about it in relation to sanitation. The paper, I mentioned it before, is called Co-Developing uh, Co Evidence-Informed Adaption Actions for Resilient Citywide Sanitation local government response to climate change in Indonesia. Now, I give you a few minutes, I guess you will need that, uh, to explain us the paper. Sure. Um, so maybe I'm even going to back up a step, if it's okay, to, to before the paper, um, because this um, the work that's presented in the paper um, has a longer history. And we first started uh, thinking about and looking at 
climate change and urban sanitation um, in a long-term partnership we've had with SNV, where we were trying to develop evidence and papers that brought together theory and uh, try and bridge theory and evidence with practice. And that previous work, we spent quite a lot of time in the conceptual realm trying to figure out how to interpret this word resilience, what it might mean um, in a system of service delivery for sanitation. And um, we then built on that work um, in this current piece. Um, so the, the paper that we're discussing today, it is um, based on a, a, a research project that was commissioned by UNICEF. Um, and we were so happy to, to take on the role uh, for that project in Indonesia because after all that conceptual work um, in the previous paper, we were, um, this gave us a chance to collect empirical data and really look at actual, um, climate, uh, like the impacts that climate hazards were having on sanitation in a, a country context. And Indonesia is a country with, which experiences probably more than a fair share of natural disasters and floods and droughts, et cetera. So there's really a lot of experience in, in how those impact sanitation systems. And so the kinds of methods we used, um, the whole research process was framed as a co-development process or what's called in research terms, co-production, where you're aiming to value and engage with um, relevant stakeholder views and their tacit knowledge of the situation. And through that engagement process, have a kind of joint ownership of the evidence and hopefully of the action that might follow um, from that process. So we engaged with the, um, in four cities with local governments. Uh, uh, first, early in, in formulating uh, and designing the research that would take place in each of the four cities. And then uh, later in what we called a response workshop, um, developing adaptation responses. And in between those workshops, we conducted, I guess you would call them fairly typical research methods of household surveys, of few, um, I think around 400 households. We did uh, community focus groups and interviews. Uh, we engage with people at, in different parts of the service chain, so some private providers, and we did um, actual interviews with, also with local government officials. So we collected you know, tons of data, as you do, um, and then what's different about a co-production process is rather than just the researchers um, making sense of that data, we in those re response workshops engaged local government in the sense making. And our aim was really for them to, to analyze and look at city that's about their, uh, sorry, data that's about their city, their situation and work out, well, so what could or should be done about this? What, how could we reduce some of these, these risks? So let me ask a question, Judith. How did you yeah. manage? How did you manage to get these people uh, to engage in these workshops and uh, take their time to do Up this co-production and to sure. work together with you? Yeah, um, I guess yeah, it's uh, to do with relationships. Um, these were cities. Uh, some of them were were places where UNICEF had been engaged, for instance, in Palu, around the response to the tsunami. Um, and also in Lombok Timor, uh, other places we had already been um, undertaking research who had um, a relationship with local government. And 
so in terms of bringing them into the room, I think the first step was engaging um, with Bapeda, which is the, the planning agency, and they then help facilitate engagement with the other relevant agencies um, to invite them and, and bring them in. And it wasn't easy. This is a this project was a, a COVID project. I think everyone knows what that means. And um, I mean, everything that you plan to do face to face suddenly had to be remote and online. And you know that made uh, workshop processes somewhat challenging, um, and maintain you know people's engagement. Uh, but certainly we had enough of a quorum of interested people um, who were happy to engage on the topic. Okay, so relationship and people that understand their interest in actually joining. So one thing which is fundamental to the paper or one concept is, is the WASH system. So could you shortly explain the different building blocks of the WASH system? And in the case of Indonesia, what were actually the, the risks and priorities that you identified? Sure. So the WASH system, I guess... Yeah, just to step back, like resilience, as many people interpret it, and especially how it was interpreted initially in our sector, um, was just around technological resilience and just whether or not infrastructure could withstand a disturbance of some kind and could um, could get it to keep on functioning. Um, but our interest was really at looking at the entire service system, and that's why the WASH system in inverted commas became relevant. And so that's things like policy and planning, things like institutional arrangements and service delivery, things like financing, about how you engage with users, and really importantly for um, thinking about what adaptation means, um, adaptation is something that's never done and finished. So you need um, you need evaluation, you need monitoring, you need learning to be a, a, a part of um, the WASH system. And we also uh, looked at the water cycle as an important element uh, within the WASH system. Uh, given you know, climate change is affecting the hydrological cycle, it's then um, via that uh, hydrological cycle impacting sanitation. So those were, I guess, uh, the kinds of elements we looked at and included within scope and, and why. And in terms of the kinds of risks um, we looked at, uh, so our starting point was in inverted commas climate hazards. So that's like having intense rainfall that leads to flooding, having a drought with water shortages, et cetera. And the climate risks that flow from that, um, which uh, I guess in the end, some part of the sanitation chain stops functioning um, and you no longer have a service. And maybe that's a just at the toilet or maybe that's at the emptying service that can't function maybe it's that the treatment plant can't accept any waste or is um, overflowing and releasing uh, waste so the climate risk um, is that when flooding or um, some kind of hazard uh, creates a risk uh, to the functioning of the sanitation chain and the kinds of risks that came up in these different cities were, um, well, you know, the starting point, people not being able to access their facility during climate events. And sometimes that was multiple times per week or per month, or um, it was, um, uh, yeah, it could, it could be for, for quite some length of time or quite frequent. And then the um, responses to that are then risks that people return to open defecation, 
and can't find some easy alternative, they become distressed, uh, et cetera. So there are sort of flow on impacts. Uh, other climate risks were that um, your containment systems become flooded because of rising groundwater or um, intrusion from the top. Uh, you might have overflow into drains. Uh, you might have uh, access roads to de for desludging blocked so that you can't empty. So these are the types of risks that we were uncovering and, and uh, looking at. Thank you, Trulis. Um, so to respond to this risk in this paper, you present a table with a number of responses actually put in a very nice generic framework of responses. Could you briefly explain this table and how it links to the domains or building blocks of the WASH system? We talked about earlier sure sure and i guess first to say you know to, before we got to adaptation response we we spent time with the local government stakeholders in thinking about prioritizing the risks because you can't develop a response to every single risk and realistically implement that many responses um, so we went through a, a participatory process around prioritizing which risks we should try and address and then we just chose a subset for which we used the framework I described earlier to really think about what the responses um, could and should be. And the, um, I guess the, the table that, um, that you've mentioned, Dorothy, that table uh, talks across things like risk and vulnerability informed planning. That's one out of, uh, I think, seven or eight categories. And against that, we've documented ideas that the local government participants came up with and we've also complemented those with others that that we had come up with in the previous research so that it presents a kind of holistic picture of um, I guess in our view what a climate resilient sanitation system looks like uh, where the system is the the whole service delivery system and enabling environment that supports it. Well, thank you very much, Juliet. I just I think it's very useful for people that maybe are less familiar with this concept of the wash system and actually are asked to do something uh, to come up with some activities for climate uh, resilience sanitation. So I quickly wanna wanna mention these uh, eight actually seven seven dimensions. Mm -hmm. So one yeah, thing. <clears throat> So one thing one should think about is the risk and vulnerability in foreign planning and decision-making. That's what you mentioned. And for instance, it could mean that you uh, analyze data and you use it to evaluate, monitor, and also learn something along the process. The next element is to clear institutional responsibilities and flexible management and service deliver delivery arrangements. So there you have these two aspects, of course, who is responsible, who should take action, but also how can we actually adapt or change or respond quickly to changing conditions. Then you have the sustainable and responsive, responsive financing. Again, here there is a requirement for flexibility. And not only about disaster response, very often it's easy to get money, but also this longer term processes and action. You have to creative, societal, societal <laughs> engagement and awareness. I think that's interesting. Maybe that we it, wrote too much of a mouthful, sorry. <laughs> no, it's 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 good that it's there and actually it relates to other aspects. Um, it's It has to do with the community, right? And the capacities, both of the individuals, but also the community as an organization. 
Then you, of course, you have the robust and repairable sanitation infrastructure. And what that, that means, it's a whole other topic. I hope we're going to have another, another episode on that. So not sometimes it's about modular systems, but modular systems can also be less resilient if difficult to repair and so on. You have the integrated action on the whole water cycle. You explained that very nicely. And there the importance, but also the complexity is the interdependencies of different steps in the water cycle, but also different service domains around it. And then you have the aspect of maintaining capacity for continual adaptions through monitoring, evaluation, and learning. So in terms of these uh, different pillars and actions that could be taken, can you give a few examples of specific actions that Indonesian government uh, decided to take uh, to, to implement and what kind of challenges they have to face when implementing them? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's important to keep it real because it's it's all very well to come up with a big, long list of actions, but... Yeah, the feasibility to put them into action is always the question. Um, so around, for instance, the um, risk and vulnerability informed planning, uh, we talked a lot about, so the, the local government officials often were asking and saying, you know, we really need um, localised predictive data about exactly how much rainfall there will be and, and, and you know, by this uh, 2050, um, what can we expect? And, of course, these local level predictions are not, um, not available and um, part of what's really challenging about climate change is the uncertainty and that you're planning and adapting in the face of uncertainty and that's a, I think a new skill uh, for, for many people who are used to more linear processes and predict uh, you know ability to predict um, and so one of the things we discussed was that okay you can't predict um, absolutely uh, what's going to happen but we do, uh, by looking, for instance, at um, uh, historical data, we can understand what some of the patterns have been and we can extrapolate and we can use some of the existing data of what happens now or what's happened in the past around, uh, for instance, when there's a, a, a big flood. And we, can, we can watch and see what happens. So we don't need to let um, the lack of data and prediction get in the way. We can use what experience and data we have to still make plans, um, but always making those plans with with options, yeah? It's about uh, partly about keeping your options open because you don't know exactly what that future is that, that will eventuate. Um, another um, example of actions that were discussed around financing is uh, around disaster response. So there are specific funds in Indonesia already allocated for that, but they have the very long, uh, delays in uh, being able to access them or increase, you know, for instance, if they need to be, if their level needs to be increased because we actually think there are going to be more disasters and that sanitation in particular might need a greater share, that's a, that's a long and complex process and there aren't necessarily the national policy framework to allow a local government to allocate more um, uh, budget allocation. So those are some of, I guess, the intricacies that come up. Um, it's, it, yeah, if you could just have an ideal world and plan these actions, it would be fine. But, you know, you're living in a real system with a lot of existing constraints and you're finding and looking at how to navigate your way through that. 
So thank you, Juliet, for this answer. And it actually fits nicely to the next uh, uh, part of the podcast that we have. So we always try to ask you, the sanitation professionals, uh, to ask the experts directly to understand what this paper actually means for practice. And I have two questions today. The first one I'm going to share with you is from Anissa from SNV uh, Indonesia. Hi, this is Anissa Putri from SNV Indonesia. First, I would like to say thank you for sharing this um, remarkable paper. So my question is, what if uh, local government or community is reluctant on, let's say, the survey result because they do not think that climate event or its impact is actually impacting their sanitation facility or services because they do not perceive the hazards and the impact due to climate change is urgent enough uh, for them. Because we face a similar situation when we disseminate our climate and vulnerability and resilience research to the community and the local government. So how is the opportunity to use the co-production approach described in the paper to get ideas or ways to manage climate and sanitation uh, to the local government or to community to ha who has limited understanding on its hazard and its impact? So how do we get them to contribute to, to the discussion? Thank you. Great. So thank you, Anissa, for the question. Um, great observations and agree. Um, humans aren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess uh, accepting that there can be future risks and that things may get worse or different to how they are now and that's that's a challenge and I think part of the issue is that you know not everyone has has experienced um, for instance let's just take flooding um, certain parts of a city flood often um, and as we know it's often poor or more vulnerable uh, groups who are living in in those more compromised areas and so I think when dealing with either community or, or local government in co-production processes it's about um, uh, uh, I guess where those impacts are occurring for people to to be part of the process um, so in our case you know the local government officials didn't come with us to the field, but I think that would be ideal. But they were then hearing firsthand um, exactly what we'd found from the household surveys and from the other tools. And they were, you know, they knew that the, that data was collected in their, their city. And so I think similarly, uh, community members that are perhaps themselves haven't yet been um, uh, actually impacted, uh, taking them to an area that has been impacted and realising that these things can happen anywhere and that if flooding, uh, for instance, and rainfall events were to increase, um, that, uh, you know, for instance, different parts of a city may be affected. So to me, it's all about, um, I guess, uh, making the the effects uh, real for people, uh, that it's not some uh, conceptual thing that's off in the future, um, but that it's a, an experience that is today already happening to some people and that we predict may happen more often. So I hope that helps a little. Um, but uh, yeah, to me, co-production, it's, it's about working together to, to generate the evidence, to make sense of the evidence. Um, and I think that definitely can help on this issue of, of awareness. We have a second question, Juliet, from Sasha Kramer from Soil Haiti. Hi, Juliet. This is Sasha Kramer with Soil in Haiti. And what I was very curious about when I read your paper is that 
What we've found in Haiti, and, I, and I'm sure this is the case in many different contexts, um, is that outside of the sanitation department within the government, there's very little thought that goes into sanitation. It's certainly one of the more widely overlooked um, public service issues. But what we've found is that sort of building up evidence of how sanitation and climate intersect has been a really valuable tool for bringing in other government stakeholders outside of the sanitation department. Um, so the Ministry of the Environment is suddenly interested in sanitation if there can be climate mitigation um, or if you have a particularly climate adapted strategy for sanitation. Uh, the Ministry of Agriculture might get interested in sanitation if they understand the ways in which climate um, and sanitation interact, interact to, to impact agricultural ecosystems. So my question for you is, do you feel that this co-production exercise um, where you worked with stakeholders on the intersection of climate and sanitation it was a way to sort of raise awareness and willingness to engage among local officials who are outside of the sanitation sector? Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Sasha, for that question and yes um i mean first of all in indonesia if we had a sanitation department that would be like the best thing ever because the thing in in indonesia is it's it's already totally split across a whole range of agencies and um so yeah you have i guess uh the health agency responsible for some parts public works uh, responsible for others housing and settlement for others um, and so, I mean, they do have what a uh, uniting group, uh, which is called a POCJA, uh, that, that handles, I guess, cross-agency thinking and work. And we certainly had that group involved. Um, but as you said, your, your question is really about the stakeholders that are beyond those usual suspects who talk about sanitation. And I think it definitely um, was helpful having people, um, I guess, with the environment background and with a disaster management background. I think that was probably the, the, the new and important link that was made through this co-production process. We didn't have, um, for instance, people from agriculture present um, in the workshops, but yeah, I can see how that could also be really beneficial. Um, and around uh, disaster management, yeah, I think uh, in coming to a workshop on sanitation, um, you know, there's a sense of how on earth could this be relevant to me, but then realising that, um, you know, it's not just about working out how to have a portaloo um, available during a flood, actually um, needing to think ahead to what kind of construction regulations and permits do we need to make sure we don't need that portaloo. And I think it really definitely broadened their perspective on what it takes to deliver a sanitation service um, to people. So I was just going to add that co-production, yes, I think it is a method that is great for bringing together a diverse set of stakeholders and facilitating dialogue amongst people who might not otherwise um, necessarily talk to each other about a given issue. Okay, Juliet, we're almost at the end. No, we still have 10 minutes left. So um, it's not my last question. It's my second last question. In, a, in three minutes, if you have to summarize the three top takeaways for our listeners, uh, what would those be? Okay, uh, takeaway number one, uh, 
don't start believing that technological resilience is going to solve uh, climate change and sanitation issue. Uh, raising latrines, um, uh, working out how we can have more water efficient latrines, for instance, in places with water scarcity, those are all definitely part of the solution. But it's all too common to think that that's all we need to do. And what we hope to demonstrate with this paper is there is a breadth of, of actions and adaptation required across um, the whole institutional and social system um, in order to be able to have a resilient sanitation system. Um, so takeaway in a nutshell is technological resilience is not equal to overall resilience. Uh, takeaway number two uh, is about the co-production process, um, the value of, of generating data locally, having people involved in collecting data and in uh, sense-making from that data to work out their own actions. I think researchers can really play much more of a role in, in, in change processes than they might usually take. Um, and so to me, co-production is something that it would be great to see that grow. And I hope that this paper demonstrates a positive example of it. Uh, third and last takeaway um, is around the part of the WASH system that's about the, um, the water cycle. Uh, so the impacts and risks that we heard about in this research just help demonstrate how closely interlinked water and sanitation are. We already knew that, yes, but climate change, um, I guess, intensifies these link interlinkages. And if we've got failing sanitation systems, we can't have good water um, supply. Um, if we don't have uh, a water supply, we might not be able to have functioning um, sanitation systems or we need to move to, to dry sanitation systems. So a third message in terms of thinking about resilience is thinking about how we work in more integrated ways on, on the urban water cycle. So those, those are the three, Dorothy. Thank you, Judith. Um, you have actually have the opportunity to add one fourth one or just uh, add anything else you want to share with us today. So I guess what I want to share with you today, because uh, COP27 is next next week, this week, next week, and is a really important moment in the climate change world and in the whole human world on this planet. And what I'm really, really happy about is that there is going to be much more dialogue around water, but even better, there's going to be time to speak about sanitation, which I think people have really struggled to make the links between um, climate change and sanitation. And I and others will be speaking to that in this next week, trying to help make those links clearer for people so that we can generate more action on sanitation and you know, protect those um, services that we've already put in place, but also make sure that those who don't have access to sanitation and who have you know, hard hope of becoming resilient, um, uh, that we can make sure that those people receive services as well. Um, so that's what I'd like to add, um, the happiness that sanitation is finally moving into the climate policy space. One good message, Judith. Um, thank you for this interesting episode. Already climate-related hazards are actually impacting sanitation systems all over the world, but not everywhere, as we heard in the questions from Anisia, this is actually perceived as such impact related to climate hazards. 
So I also learned that uh, once again, resilience and adaption to climate change is not only a technology fix, but requires a system approach, considering all different elements, including the infrastructure, but also the policies, institutions, finances, capacities and different levels of engage engagements of different stakeholder groups. So I also learned that when it comes to re resilient sanitation or wash in general, it's important to look at the entire water cycle from source to sea, but also the different interactions. And there are many interdependencies, not only between water supply use and sanitation, but of course also between the different building blocks of the wash systems, like the capacities and the responsibilities. I've also understood how difficulty, difficult it is actually to standardize the response action to impact. It has to be very contextualized, defined by the local people in the way that they understand the risk, but also in a way that they're actually able to implement a response. So um, being a WASH expert in practitioners, this leaves me to a very difficult uh, situation because I'm actually unable to keep, give some straightforward recommendations. So in this um, context, I think it's a very inspiring paper. So you have the local government and you document how they commitment, committed to understand and improve the, uh, the understanding of the implications locally to map the different risks and actually to come up with different actions on their own. And I think even though you provide, you say it's it's a it's a, a co-produced framework from Indonesia, you have put it in this paper in a way that it's actually a starting point for everyone in the world to kind of try to tackle the complexity of the problem. So to build up climate resilient sanitation systems, we need to support the governments. We need to help them understand and we can give them this framework at hand in order to map the risk and to come up with possible responses. This paper lies out a co-production or a co-production, co co-development, um, co-anything process. But the important thing is that you as, <clears throat> as a researcher, you actually join your knowledge and you empower the local people to contribute what you do. And the climate resilient sanitation system framework that you come up in this paper paints this rich picture of needed but also possible responses and is a perfect starting point for any government that wants to, to start planning and develop institutions and financing mechanisms, infrastructure, user awareness, and the integrated water cycle management and monitoring and evaluation framework for climate resilient cities. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope it could inspire you with some information that is useful for your projects and your daily work. I also would like to thank you, Juliet, for uh, guiding us through this paper today. And you can find more information about her, but also the links to these papers and other related publications on Anchor, where we published this episode. You can there also subscribe for the papers to practice series, but you can subscribe to it to, on any other podcast platform. You can also check out the Sustainable Sanitation Alliance library, www.susanna.org, to see all the past episodes. And finally, if you have any thoughts 
or any ideas or you would like uh, us to review a paper that you have recently came across and you didn't really understand, you can write to us on papers to practice at cost.org. Thanks again and see you next month.